Our gospel reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. We'll basically start where that video ended. Matthew three, thirteen through 17. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made, and Lord, we thank you for your word which you have given to us. Lord, we pray that you would help us this morning to hear your word. Lord, help us to hear it with those who have ears to hear. Lord, we pray that you would help us to hear it in a way that it enters into our hearts and into our lives and continues your work of transformation in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Son of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Turning then to our New Testament reading, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 14 and going on through chapter 6, verse 2. As Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. This is the word of the Lord. I have a dog, and we have uh, done very little training with our dog over the years, and in large part, that's because um, our dog is just an amazing dog in general, (laughs) but... um, but there are a few things at this point, though he is an old dog, and you say, you know, an old dog can't learn new tricks, and we're thinking, you know, but there are some things that he probably should have learned when he was younger, and 
we're going to try it now anyway. And one of those is uh, healing. And so we're teaching our dog to heal. And uh, that is just staying right with us. So we're walking around and just stay, um, stay by my heel. Don't run off ahead when you get all excited because you think you see something move. Um, and don't uh, drag along behind when you smell something really interesting. <laughs> just stay with me. That's the whole thing. And, um, and so if I go faster, you go faster. If I go slower, you go slower. If I stop, you stop. It's just stay with me. That's it. It's a pretty simple concept. And yet, one that sometimes he seems more interested in other than others. And I think a lot of times, my actions just confuse him to no end. Like, well, why are we slowing down now? Or why are we going faster now? Like, I definitely have different interests than you do, apparently. What is the point here? Anyway, as I've been working with my dog uh, on this, I'm definitely sensing the uh, <laughs> kind of the life application personally for me as recognizing how this is very much what it's like to walk with Jesus. Is <laughs> the, you know, just stay with, just stay with me. It's like, yeah, but I thought I'd go faster. No, 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 hold back. <laughs> Or, well, I think I'll just stay here for a while. No, no, we're moving on. And it's just that staying with. And so as, uh, as a Christian, I think a big part of the Christian life is just learning how to heal. And I don't mean H-E-A-L, H-E-E-L, whatever. Anyway, learning how to stay with Jesus. We are looking this morning at Noah. We've been looking at Noah for the last several weeks, and we saw kind of the, the before the flood, and then last week was during the flood, and then... Uh, this week, we're looking at uh, kind of the end of the flood and a little bit after the flood uh, itself. And one of the things that we have seen is actually someone who is walking with God. And we have seen that, we saw that in uh, Enoch earlier. We're seeing it in Noah now. Before we get to Noah, let me kind of recap where we've been so far in Genesis. Uh, so in Genesis 1, we saw God creating everything. And creating everything on purpose and creating everything with a purpose and making everything uh, that was formless to be formed and everything that was empty to be filled. And so we have uh, a place for everything and everything in its place. And that was kind of Genesis 1. At the end, he's created people and, and he steps back from the whole thing and says it's very good. And then in chapter 2, we see God being personally involved with his creation. And in uh, chapter 3, we see... Uh, people turning away from this relationship with God and uh, not staying with him or trusting him that he knows best, but going and doing their own thing. And everything breaks. And so we see the people's relationship with God breaks. People's relationship with each other breaks. And people's relationship to all the rest of creation breaks. And so the question since then has been, so how does this get fixed? How do we begin again? How do we get a fresh start? How do we undo all the brokenness? Well, as you go on to chapter 4, we see the next generation doesn't get it right. In fact, it gets worse. And then as we continue on um, in chapter 5, we see that generation after generation after generation, death still reigns. There's only one person that kind of breaks that pattern, and it's Enoch, and it says that he walked with God, and then he was no more. About 
took him away. And you go, well, there's something about walking with God that's different. But nevertheless, we see this continuing cycle of, uh, of death, but also this continuing cycle of just destruction and what we've been calling vandalism to God's good creation. That generation after generation just seems to get worse and worse and worse until every inclination of the human heart was only evil all the time. And we go, well, how in the world is this going to get fixed? And this is where God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send a flood, and we're going to wipe it all clean. Of course, we talked about how he had made promises back to Adam and Eve that salvation would come through one of uh, Eve's descendants. So if he wipes out everybody, he breaks his own promise. I don't know what all you know about God, but if you only know one thing, you probably know he doesn't break his promise. And so uh, when he goes to wipe everything clean, he picks one man, Noah, a guy whose name means rest. And he tells him to build a boat, and then God has him take these animals, um, seven pairs of the clean, and one pair each of the unclean, and they get on the boat, and then the rains come. And they come, and they come. And the water just goes up and up and up until it gets over 20 feet higher than the tops of the tallest mountains. And it stays that way for a long time. And nothing survives unless it is in the ark. And we talked about this ark as being not so much a boat as just a box, a floating box. They have no reason to steer. There's nowhere to go. The purpose of the box is to float and to keep them alive in the midst of uh, all of the flooding. So this is kind of where we left off last week was with everything having been um, destroyed outside the ark. Water everywhere as far as you can see. And then we get chapter 8. Which says, But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark, And he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed, and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the water had gone down. And on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to recede until the 10th month, and on the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible. After 40 days... Noah opened a window he had made in the ark and sent out a raven, and it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground, but the dove could find nowhere to perch because there was water over all the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. 
By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground, so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. So Noah came out, together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives. All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on land came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. So this is... uh, This is what happens kind of the during and after the flood. There is a bit more to come that we will look at next week when it relates to uh, the promise that God makes, this covenant that he makes. Um, We'll look at that next week. But for now, we're looking at this experience of Noah and those on the ark with him. And what uh, what this is like for them and what this means for us. So, uh, first of all, I'm going to just kind of break this into sections and look at uh, verses 1 through 5, uh, where it talks about, it says, God remembered Noah. This is actually kind of a center point in the structure of this, the whole way this story is told. That there are things leading up to that line and things happening after that line that mirror each other and kind of point straight to that line from both directions. Uh, If you want an example of one of the things that points to it, just look for the numbers. So you have 7, and then 7, and then 40, and then 150, and then this line, and then 150, and then 40, and then 7, and then 7. It's interesting. But the line is, God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And what does this mean that God remembers Noah? Why is everything pointing to that? Did God forget about Noah? Did he have the rain over all the earth and everything's flooded? And he's like, all right, now we can start. Oh, whoops, I forgot about them. (laughs) Ah, what are we going to do here? Uh, No. The Bible talks about God remembering people a lot. And uh, it does not have that same connotation as with us who are forgetful people. And (laughs) then we remember about something. We're like, oh, you know what I forgot to do? I got to get on that. With God, when he remembers somebody, it is that God is thinking about them and he is about to act on their behalf. That is what this has been pointing at. That even though it looks like all is hopeless and all is lost and that the earth is underwater everywhere, that God is still thinking about Noah and all those on the ark and now God is about to act on their behalf. And he's already acted on their behalf and having Noah build the ark to begin with. But life on the ark is not the same as life in God's good creation, right? I don't know. Um, I don't know how long 
you would like to live on an ark like that. But my guess is, at some point, you'd start getting a little homesick (laughs) for just life outside of the ark. And so it says that God sent a wind over the earth, the waters receded, and it uh, just keeps on receding and receding and going down and going down and going down until finally, uh, in verse 4, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. So, all is over. They can come out now, right? No. At this point, the bottom of the ark has finally reached the highest points of the mountains, and that's all. Still too much water for them to be able to come out. And so then, uh, so we have just, well, back to verses 1 through 5. God is acting, lowering the water. Noah, meanwhile, is waiting. And uh, while he is waiting, that doesn't mean nothing is happening. Because the water is lowering. And the ark does land. But it takes a while before he ever even sees evidence that God is up to something, doesn't it? Think about that. That God is acting. He sent the wind. The water is drying up. But from the perspective of the ark, nothing is changing. How often do we live there where God is at work, but from our perspective, nothing is changing? And so maybe we assume that he's not at work. Um... But after a time, there is a sign that he's been at work. The ark lands. But they still can't come out. They still have to wait. So verse 6, after 40 days, Noah opened a window. 40 more days of waiting. Before he opens a window, sends out a raven, it flies around, there's nowhere to land, it comes back. Then he sends out a dove, it flies around, nowhere to land, it comes back. Seven more days. Sends out a dove. Flies around. Comes back, this time with an olive leaf. Are you hearing the time pass as we go? Seven more days kind of thing. They're continuing to wait. They know, or I guess they hope, that something is happening. That they don't have to live on the ark for the rest of their lives. That the ark has not just become the new normal for them. But at this point, they're still there. But they're sending out the, uh, the birds. And finally, verse 12, he waited seven more days, sent the dove out again, and this time it did not return to him. And so, by the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st years, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark, and he saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. All right. Finally, it's all dry. Where are they? Still in the ark. Why are they still in the ark? They knew quite a while ago that uh, the dove was able to find a place to land and to live outside the ark. The waters have continued to go down since then. And so we had the first day of the first month, the water had dried up from the earth, but it's not until the second or the 27th day of the second month that we're saying the earth is completely dry. 
So during that time, I suppose they could have come out and kind of sloshed around a bit in some muddy ground, but they waited. Now the earth is completely dry, and they're still on the ark. This is a long time to wait, by the way. I don't know if you've been paying attention to all the dates that are being given because they're written in weird ways and it's not what we're used to. And so we tend to kind of yada yada over that. But the way that it describes when the rain started falling and the way that it describes when the rains or when the ground was completely dry, do you know how long it's been? Roughly? A year. They have been on the ark for a year. We normally think of the 40 days and 40 nights, and we're like, I could, I could do like 40 days on a yacht. That's not a problem. It has been a year, and this is no yacht. <laughs> it has been a year, and during that year, most of that time, it's just been water all around. And what assurance do they have that there will ever be anything but that? For most of that year, there's really not any assurance that there will be any life outside the ark ever again. That is a long wait. A long wait of every day. Here we are again. And I know from things that I have waited for, it makes a big difference in how easy or hard it is to wait if you know when the end is. Have you noticed that? If you are waiting for something and you know that you only have to wait, you know, one week and then, fine. But if you think it's going to be a week, and then as it turns out, it's a whole lot longer, and you're like five weeks down the road and you're going, is this ever going to happen? That makes it very different. They've been waiting for a year. They're still in the ark. The reason they're still in the ark is because of what I've been talking about, of the discipleship of learning what it's like to heal, <laughs> to walk with God. God had told them when to get on the ark, and God is going to tell them when to get off the ark. And even though he has been sending out the dove and checking to see what the situation is, he's not moving apart from the word of God. Verse 15, Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark. You and your wife and your sons' wives, or your sons and their wives, bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, all the creatures that move along the ground so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase the number on it. So, verse 18, so Noah came out. Together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives, all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground, all the birds, everything that moves on land came out of the ark, one kind after another. Why the repetition? This happens all the time in the Bible when uh, we are being shown that somebody is walking with God. It's what you'll have is the command being given and then almost a restatement of the command except saying they were doing that exact thing. Noah has been waiting this whole time, but what he's been waiting for is not dry ground. He's been waiting on the Lord. He has been trusting him through this whole thing. He knows that the only reason that their lives have been saved is because of God. And he's not about to go out on his own at this point. So God calls, Noah obeys, the ark is emptied. 
And when they come out, what's the first thing Noah does? He builds an altar to the Lord. Taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. Noah's first response is a thanksgiving offering to God for having saved them, but it's also an offering that shows his trust in God going forward. Think about it. Everything outside the ark just died. Where are the animals coming from that he is offering up as sacrifice? It's only from that which has been saved through the flood. And so if, if Noah offers up some of these animals, it's not like, well, we'll just go get some more from somewhere else later. There aren't any others. By offering these up right here, Noah is showing his trust in God going forward. That just as you have saved us through this, you are the one who will be able to provide for the future. And then we have the promise. Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though the, every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. A couple of questions. First of all, who is God talking to here? Verses 21 and 22. himself. God is talking to himself when he says this, never again will I curse the ground because of humans. This is not something he's saying to Noah. This is something he's saying to himself. He's going to speak to Noah again. That's going to be in chapter nine. But for right here, the first response is God saying to himself, this is how things are going to be going forward. Another question based on what he's saying to himself. Did the flood fix the problem of sin? What was the problem beforehand, before the flood? That every inclination of the heart was only evil all the time, right? What is the situation now? Same. Same. And so you have uh, Noah, who maybe was the best of the best, that God has selected uh, to preserve through the flood. But he and his family carry with them the same problem of sin that's been passed down from generation to generation already. I was thinking about this in terms of, you know, if, if you were going to go scuba diving, you would probably want the compressed air tank that has the fewest numbers of holes in it but if it still has holes in it, it's not going to do you much good, is it? And that's the problem here. Of all the people of humanity, even if he chooses the best of the best, they're still broken. And they still have this problem of sin that is going to continue to vandalize God's good creation going forward. And so this is why God is saying, even though this is a situation, and what, what has happened here is God has shown to everyone that the wages of sin is death, that the judgment upon sin deserves death. But 
even though the situation hasn't changed, God says that's not how we're going to deal with things going forward. One other thing I have to point out, and then we'll get to the, this has to do with us. I mentioned last week the number eight being the number of new creation. And we talked about how there were eight people who were saved through the flood on the ark. Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their three wives. And um, I think one of the reasons why is probably because of this chapter, which is the eighth chapter, but it wasn't numbered that till a long time later. <laughs> Um, but here are some of the ways that we see new creation in this chapter. You remember in uh, Genesis chapter 1, this chapter of creation, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, right? The Spirit of God hovering over the waters. And so you have... Uh, in your mental picture there, you should have just this watery, dark chaos with God flying over all of that. And then he begins the work of separating out light and dark, uh, waters above from waters below, dry ground from the seas, and then he starts filling each of those things. Andrew, go ahead and bring that up. So when we talked about uh, Genesis 1, several weeks ago now. Uh, this is, these are the pictures that we used to talk about that. And we talked about how days one through three, the formless things became formed, and then in days four through six, those empty things became filled. And so step by step, uh, we see God uh, forming and then filling all of creation. Read back through Genesis 8. This is what's happening again. Now you have uh, the waters all around with the birds flying over, and you're supposed to, in your mind, go, hey, wait a second, that sounds familiar. Something hovering over the waters, and then you see the dry ground appear. Well, before the dry ground even appears, you see the rains stop, and we see the waters above and the waters below again. Then you see um, the dry ground appear. Uh, Going on to day five, you know, we've got the birds flying in the sky again. That's good. And then in day six, we have, um, by the time we get to the end of this passage, as everything comes off the ark, we have the earth now being filled again with people and with animals. We're replaying Genesis 1. This is new creation. That everything in the uh, judgment of the flood had just undone creation. Taken everything back to this watery chaos, but now God is bringing uh, order to everything again and restoring uh, creation. Now, there are a couple things here that maybe don't seem to show up, that being day one with day and night. That's actually the last line of the chapter, though. It's there. (laughs) Day and night will never cease. The other thing is in verse 4 of the sun, moon, and stars in chapter 1. And you go, I don't know. I don't see any sun, moon, and stars in, um, in Genesis 8. Except, uh, when God talks about creating the lights in the sky in chapter 1, he says, for this purpose, let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years, and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth. And so, uh, it's the marking of time 
is the purpose of these things. Do you see any marking of time in chapter 8? Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's all over the place. It's done in weird ways that we're not familiar with, and so every time we get to it, we're like, just skip over that. What are you even talking about? Um, but what it's talking about is that time is still being marked. And so what we have between Genesis 1 and Genesis 8 is some areas of continuity, things that continue even through the flood. Time continues to be marked. Day and night continue. What we don't have are, um, we don't have birds in the sky for a while. We don't have animals on the land for a while. We don't have land for a while. (laughs) And so there's continuity, there's discontinuity. There are things that uh, stay the same throughout, and there are things that get changed. This is a picture of new creation. This is a picture not only of what new creation looked like back in Genesis 8. This is a picture of what new creation will look like. In Matthew 3, we saw another uh, instance of water. Spirit of God hovering over the waters. Did you recognize it? Genesis 1 language again. This time it's when Jesus is being baptized. And he goes down into the water. And what do you see? Just water. And as he comes up from the water, what do you see? (laughs) The Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. It's the same idea. This is new creation. And then you go over into um, 2 Corinthians, which we read earlier. And it says, therefore, anyone who is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. If you are somebody who is in Christ, you know what this is talking about. You know that there are some things about you that are the same as they were before. There's still continuity there, but you also know there are some things that are different because of your union with Christ. That this is what it means to be a part of the new creation in Christ. That there is a sense in which the old creation overlaps with the new creation. And, but that the new creation has come. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. So what do we do with this? This is, well, a couple things. Now this is 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 again. It says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Do you hear this? Think back to Noah and the flood. Were people's sins being counted against them? Yes. And when our sins are counted against us, what do we get? Death. But it says, in Christ, that's not what we get. In Christ, our sins are counted not against us. They were counted against him. And why? (laughs) Partly why is because of what we see in Genesis 8. I'm saying we're not going to do it this way again. Even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, there's going to be a different way of getting rid of sin 
and saving the people. Another way of fixing the problem that we saw start in Genesis 3, and instead of the brokenness, bringing reconciliation, where people become reconciled to God and to each other and to all of creation. So Paul continues in Second uh, Corinthians 5, and he says, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. There is a new creation, and we can be a part of it. The situation is not the same as it was in the days of Noah. But now we have a situation where not only can we be reconciled to God in Christ, but we are those who are sent out into the world to tell those who are not reconciled to God that they too can be reconciled to God in Christ. We are Christ's ambassadors, those sharing the good news of salvation with all those who need to hear it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. Lord, we thank you that every day is a reminder of, uh, of a new creation. Lord, we pray that you would help us. Help us as we walk through each day to live as those who are um, who are part of the new creation. Who understand that the um, the old is passing away. The night is going away. The morning is coming. Lord, help us to live in the light of Jesus. God, we pray that you would help us to be patient as we seek to walk with you in everything. Help us not to run too far ahead, further than you have said to go. Lord, help us also not to lag behind when you're calling us to move forward. Or help us to walk with you in everything, understanding that uh, your way is the right way, that you know better than we know. Or help us to trust you above all else. Or we pray all these things in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.